0: Hello and welcome to Better Construction with Sean McStay, the podcast where we discuss design and construction techniques, products, and details that lead to a better built environment. All right, and welcome to this week's episode of Better Construction. This week, I am very pleased to have with me Ben Bogie. Ben is the production manager at Colbert Building, all the way over on the East Coast in the US. So Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. So, you're pretty well known in our industry. You know, you contribute a lot to, you know, magazines like Fine Home Building. You've got uh, a lot of different social media presence. Uh, but for people who maybe haven't run into you before, maybe give a little bit about who you are and your background.
1: So, uh, I'm a second-generation high-performance builder, um, originally from Connecticut. Um, I started off in the industry when I left high school at age 16. Dad said if I wasn't going to be in school, I had to do something. So he put me to work on a job site. And 21 years later, I'm still at it. Um, I am a relentless learner and thinker. um, And I uh, somebody described me as having a questing personality one time before, and I think that's fitting. When I I set myself on a path of learning about something, I want to dive as far into it as I possibly can. and led me into this position where i you know speak and write and uh, discuss building a lot i uh write pretty regularly for um fine home building magazine uh professional remodeler pro trade craft and over the past couple of years uh i've started doing live demos with jlc live the remodeling show and uh, international building show so that's yeah kind of where i am i have done everything from uh historical work on 18th century homes all the way up to cutting edge net zero passive house high performance so very cool kind of run the gamut
0: yeah and so growing up obviously you had a lot of exposure to the construction industry and the different uh parts of it is that uh, growing up did you think about getting into that was that always kind of your plan
1: no it's the opposite okay <laughs> in uh In school, in shop class, I, you know, I was was very good with tools and woodworking. And my shop teacher said, you should really consider this as a career. And I said, absolutely not. And then, you know, famous last words. um, Yeah, I didn't know quite what I wanted to do. I thought about being a chef for a while and, you know, kicked around all sorts of ideas. But um, construction was something that I knew there was always work available when I needed it as a young man. So I just kind of stuck with it. And uh, uh, eventually it stopped being just uh you know a paycheck on fridays and turned into something that i took seriously as a career and really started to dive into and learn everything i could about what i was doing
0: all right and so on the building science side of things you know i don't want to generalize i would say that most builders have an interest in the building science obviously they're very dedicated to their craft and wanting to make things last uh, you know enduring buildings But the level that you go to with that is, I think, beyond what kind of maybe your typical builder would look at. Is that just part of your natural, like you said, kind of questing personality?
1: I think I may have had a bit of a leg up um, being second generation and not just second generation carpenter, but uh, second generation high performance builder. You know, I've, I've said in other places, my dad was doing this stuff in the late 70s and the early 80s, building some of the first, you know mass and glass passive solar houses, as well as super insulated houses that were happening in the U.S. Um, So I was brought up knowing, you know, concepts of thermal bridging and air tightness and ventilation and stuff like that. So I I, might have had a leg up that, you know, those fundamentals fundamentals were taught to me at an early age. So I kind of had the foundation set. I didn't have to relearn those or, or learn those for a first time like a lot of contractors do. So that allowed me to just kind of progress from that point on. And I think it is, it's is—it's just a matter of I, I love to read and understand um, everything I'm doing. So I'm always trying to educate myself on further okay. details.
0: So then with your involvement with some of these high-performance methodologies uh, and also organizations like Messi and those types of things, uh, how do you think in your area of the country – that style of building is coming along. And I guess the second part of that question is where where does it need to go? Like, where, What's the next step?
1: I think in our area of the country, especially here in Portland, but New England in general, we're always have been and still are kind of uh, an isolated pocket of progressive builders in a lot of ways. We generally seem to be doing these practices and pushing the boundaries of performance ahead of where the industry, Uh, I think a lot of that is just, you know, geographic location is the fact that we, we are in a, you know, heating dominated climate. So people are paying attention to that. It's the, you know, the frugal new Englander um, attitude, you know, a lot of people here don't like to spend money if they can save it. So I think that's driven it. And it's also the Northeast has Easy access to materials and technologies and stuff like that usually uh, as looking at the the country goes we, we generally have you know materials and stuff coming in readily to ports and things like that here, so it's a little bit easier for us to get some newer products early on. Where do I think the industry needs to go? I think we need to be taking some of these principles that we're learning from uh, building pretty good houses and really push to uh, codify them and write them into code, um, legislate those into practice, as well as do everything we can to take these practices and help educate the industry so that everybody understands that this isn't um, just a fringe thing that we're doing here to build these expensive high performance homes. These are sound principles that allow you to build, you know, a resilient, well-built, healthy structure. So, If you take the energy part out of it, if you take the environmental part out of it, it allows you to build just a better building.
0: And that often is a topic that comes up when I'm talking to my guests is, you know, is this uh, something that needs to be codified or is this something that needs to be voluntary? Um, You know, both sides are typically brought up against that. It seems like maybe you're more on the side that it needs to be codified. Uh, The concern there tends to be lack of educational opportunities and cost. Uh, what are some of the ways that you've seen that addressed, or what, is, maybe what are maybe one of the th- some of the things that have helped you be able to do those types of builds uh, in your project?
1: Uh, well, let me just uh, address one part of that first, and that's cost. Um, one of the big pushbacks I often get when I describe the type of work we do from people is is that it's more expensive. Um, which it can be, and historically a lot of these projects have been more expensive because they've been tried on higher-end projects to kind of develop the methodologies because the, you know, the cash flow is there with those clients in order to try new things. But if you look at it, you can kind of tune buildings using better principles of insulation and air sealing to a point where you can actually reduce the mechanical sizing of the building, and it will pay for that improvement. And then you end up with a smaller carrying cost. I have a hard time when people push back due to the cost factor. Yes, there is a, you know, a level that you start going beyond and the payback's not there and the upfront cost doesn't make sense. So you have to weigh those. Um, But it doesn't always have to be about cost to make a building really airtight doesn't necessarily have to cost you much more in the construction. It just requires forethought and fastidiousness to detail education. Um, Things that have really helped me over the years are the publication, you know, the major JLC, Find Home Building, Pro or Mother, any of the number of them out there. They're not always the most cutting edge, but if you're being diligent and reading what you can on the industry, you're going to be able to glean information out of there. Other things that have helped me tremendously is being a part of Nessie, Northeast Sustainable Energy Association. Uh, that's a phenomenal resource here in the Northeast. Even if you're not in the Northeast, do look into Nessie because there is a wealth of knowledge available through them and through their website about high performance building and policy and legislation and culture and all sorts of stuff related to this world that we're in. Um, And other things that I've found tremendously helpful are going to the trade shows, going to JLC Live and to the International Building Show and the Remodeling Show. Uh, to the Nessie events, to the Better Buildings conferences, any of those events that you can get yourself to, not only are you going to be exposed to better products and methodologies, but you're going to have a chance to talk to people. You're going to have a chance to talk to the manufacturers and the reps and people that are installing these products and just peers and network. And that is a tremendous resource that people, I don't think really give the credit that is due to it. You know, people think we're going to a trade show to look at the newest decking and the newest screws or whatever. But it's the the social interaction and the ability to really connect with some of these products and these manufacturers and get insight into some of this stuff that you might not have had before. Um, I, I don't think that can be uh, looked down upon.
0: Okay. And so is that part of the reason why you spend, uh, you know, a significant amount of time now on, uh, you know, Contributing to these publications, uh, the different social media outlets that you have, those types of things, is a, the idea they're kind of giving back some of that information.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, not to get too personal. I think I had a kind of a personal realization a handful of years ago. You know, I was always kind of siloed and just working and doing this work that I did, um, and, and I kind of had to become honest with myself and realize that I have something worth sharing. I have experience and knowledge; that's worth sharing. And this really is a, a, a phenomenal career and a phenomenal industry with incredible people in it that's done so much for my life um, that I feel like it's kind of my responsibility to be a good steward and share what I can. And not that I have the end-all, be-all answers, but in sharing, it opens up the possibility to have conversations and for me to continue my work. So, I just realized that, you know, I've got to whenever I can, and it takes, you know, diligence on my end to carve the time out of my schedule to try and share and to try and write and to try and have these interactions because it it helps me um, as much as it helps somebody that, you know, can glean something from what I'm sharing.
0: Okay. And then one other thing that I I was thinking about based on your earlier comments about how, uh, you know, in, in school you were kind of thinking, well, you know, the trades is the last thing I want to be doing. Uh, if you were talking to somebody who maybe is in that situation now, uh, what are maybe some of the things you would talk to them about that a career in the trades and specifically in, in kind of the construction side of things could offer them?
1: Being in the trades can do so much for a person's character. I don't want to come off or, like sounding preachy or this or like high horse, but it it's hard work. It's difficult work, and it's becoming increasingly more. Studied work or or, or technical work or cerebral work um, that forces you to you know learn good work ethic and diligence and personal care and hard work and responsibility and it does a lot for you know people that take it seriously it does a lot for just your outlook on the world it allows you to see that you can accomplish things on your own Um, and it also really forces you to figure out how to solve problems. Because really what we do every day is, you know, a layman's view of this is, is that somebody gives us a set of drawings and we just cut the pieces and screw them together until it looks like the set of drawings. But really what I'm doing every day is solving problems. And having that skill and having the ability to absorb knowledge and filter it down and distill out an answer, you know, it, it makes the rest of life a lot simpler in a lot of ways because you're able to see things as a whole and come to a formulated conclusion on. So not only that, it can be, you know, it's a rewarding thing to do. You look at the end of the day, it's something beautiful that you've built, and there is nothing else that I do other than spending time with my wife and kids that gives me that sense of satisfaction on a daily basis. Um, and it can provide a, a livelihood and a career and a decent wage and a decent paycheck um, to raise a family.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I agree on a, a number of those for sure. I think that there often is a kind of a misconception that going into the trades is is not cerebral and it's not, you know, something where you have to be able to solve problems and those, think on your feet and those types of things. It's just, you know, you're going to go and swing a hammer for the next 35 years. And I I like to see people like yourself in our industry kind of showing that there, there's both sides to that. There's, yes, it's a lot of hard work and you have to be very dedicated, but at the same time, there's all these opportunities to advance your knowledge and by doing that, improve the quality of the buildings that we're producing.
1: The, the more you push and learn, the more you're able to not only improve your buildings, but the more you're able to improve your position in the industry and, you know, take the tool bags off and spend the time reading and learning and learning client relationships and learning how to run a successful business. Cause that's a, a whole nother aspect that a lot of people forget is you can know how to build something, but do you know how to run a business? You know, that's an incredibly, you know, difficult and fulfilling part of the industry that gets overlooked in the, you know, the layman's view of what we do.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, uh... I often say that a lot of the people listening to the podcast who are builders, you know, across the Canada and the US are also small business owners. And so there's a really wide range of skills that they need to be able to bring to bear on any given day. And uh, you end up wearing a lot of different hats.
1: When I when I got into, or let me just say the early part of my career, I loved the, the fine finish work and the cabinetry and the mill work. And I spent a lot of my time learning those things, because that was the stuff that really interested me. And those are still things that I'm very passionate about. But now the area that I find myself most interested in is how to organize my day, how to organize a project, how to manage clients, how to manage personalities, uh, how to foresee pitfalls. Those are the things that really interest me now is, you know, how to manage a project successfully. So not only is it built well, but it's, generally a good culture for everybody involved with it to be around and everybody comes out at the end of the day safe and healthy and happy and feeling like they had a rewarding experience on this project instead of just being yelled at by some foreman who's on a schedule
0: no i agree and i think that that also is kind of touches on another thing that's been a big change in the industry i mean i've been involved in the construction industry for about 15 years now and uh, the level of communication required on the job site and then also between everybody involved in that project from the design side, engineering, et cetera, that level of communication is a much, much higher point now, I think, than it was you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Absolutely. So if you're looking then as someone who's got a lot of experience in the industry, uh um, you look back at how things have progressed, if you then kind of switch that and start looking forward now over the next five to ten years, are there any big shifts or technologies that you think are really going to start to become common on every job site or be more prevalent?
1: One technology that at first I was skeptical of but have warmed significantly to is um, the AeroSeal process. Um at first, I was you know hesitant to embrace it. It felt kind of just like a you know a novel gadget, so to speak um, but now that I see the difficulty that people are having contractors are having as codes become more stringent and we're trying to reach tighter um you know building envelopes, I see that technology is something that can be really beneficial for guys to get to a good level of performance without having to you know teach the old dog new tricks so to speak um and i I, i'm hoping to see and i've seen it grow throughout the time i've been in the industry but better water management techniques i this is you know it's the core of what a building is. Is we're trying to keep ourselves out of the weather, but for some reason we still keep stumbling with it, stumbling with it, and it's a, it's a, a sore spot across a lot of the industry. I'm hoping that a lot of these new products that we're seeing on the market, the tapes and the membranes, and then couple that with rain screens, will help the industry as a whole to raise its bar to to deal with keeping water out of buildings. Because if we're not doing that, then nothing else really matters. So, um. Okay, It's a trend I've seen, and I, I hope to see that continue. All
0: right. And then one other one that I often have people bring up, and I don't know if you have much experience with yourself yet, is uh, prefabrication or panelization. What do you think of that You know, for residential construction?
1: I really like it. Um, it's something that we have looked at extensively. My employer has done some panelization work. We've got peers in the area that are doing Um, prefab and panelization work. Um, I think it's something that I'd like to see expanded throughout the industry and I, I think is a growing section of the industry because it helps to you know, everybody kind of knows it helps to decrease the labor on the job site and it helps for faster turnover. And if we're dealing with a skilled trades gap where we're going to have less skilled people available to construct these projects, anything we can do to simplify it and speed the process is going to be a welcome addition to the industry. Um, that being said, I don't know if we're going to see it adopted as quickly as I'd like it to be. You know, this is the big thing everybody's said forever that, you know, modular and panelization is going to be like the next big thing but you know i've heard that my entire career and have yet to see it happen but i do feel like there is some growth in that section um and i it's an area that we are looking at and continue to look at we haven't figured out really how to make it work for us yet uh i think the growth of clt coming into north america um could possibly be a bit of a paradigm shift in that realm in helping us to get buildings together faster um, with less hands on the ground to make it happen, um, and also being ecologically sound in the process.
0: All right. And so typically with the podcast episodes, as I get towards the end, uh, listeners know I always have two questions. And so the the first one of those questions is, if you could fix any one misconception about better construction, uh, which one would it be for you?
1: That it has to be expensive.
0: Yeah, that is a pretty uh common one for sure and I I agree with it. It doesn't have to be expensive at all. I think there's there's choices people can make on where the priorities are on the job that will allow them to build more enduring, you know, more enduring homes and buildings without, you know, necessarily cutting out everything that's finish related, but allowing for the fact that those finishes get replaced quite regularly. Um, your insulation and siding and such less. So,
1: so it's a one shot deal.
0: Exactly. And then the last question I typically ask is, uh, kind of a personal interest question. I, I read and collect a lot of books. And so I'm curious if you could recommend any book right now, personal or professional, which one would it be?
1: This is totally nerdy and totally boring, but it's just because I, I revisited it again recently. Uh, but bill rose's water and buildings it's a it's a dense book to get through and it's i've now on my second pass through the whole book trying to absorb more of it um but for somebody interested in the building science end of things it's uh, a pretty phenomenal book um it's easy to get lost in the math and the physics of it but there's a lot of simple gems there that can be takeaways that are just good to drill into your cortex and you know keep his fundamentals when we're building
0: awesome yeah that sounds like a great one for sure all right ben well for everyone listening i'm going to go ahead and put links in the description down below to ben's social media and his company's website so you can definitely reach out to him there and uh, check out a number of the articles and such that he has written and with that ben uh, thanks for your time and have a great rest of your day
1: thanks sean it was a pleasure